Our theme for this month is five, and my title today is A Day in the Life. Turn to your neighbor and say, A Day in the Life. Time Magazine called Jesus the most influential figure in history. Time Magazine called Jesus the most influential figure in history. And if we were to look back the past 2,000 years, who has literally changed this world? Jesus has, right? We know that there are billions of Christians. We know that there's 7 billion people on the planet. We know that, of course, I ain't going to say that. But there are a lot of people who have, for whatever reason, Jesus has changed them. Jesus has rubbed them the wrong way. Jesus has done things that no other person on this planet could ever do. Jesus, the most influential character, man, figure in history ever. Now, Jesus was different. Most of us in here, we got our name from our parents, right? How many of us know that mom and dad... Uh, were the privileged ones to give us the name. Jesus got his name. If you look at Luke 1.30, it says, Don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. So as we start thinking about Jesus this morning, where did his name come from? It came from an angel, right? The angel told Mary what to name him. Matthew 2.1, a unique thing about Jesus, he was born in Bethlehem. Turn to your neighbor and say, Bethlehem. You know what Bethlehem means? It means house of bread, house of bread. Jesus was born in the city, the town called Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. What did Jesus say about himself? 6 John 6.35, I am the bread of life. So he was born in the town called house of bread. What did he call himself? I am the bread of life. And he said that whoever comes to me, Will never hunger or be thirsty ever, ever again. Matthew 4, 8, it says that the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he says, I will give it to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so this morning as we just start to think about Jesus, the few things that we started with. One, who is his name? Where did he get his name? He got it from an angel. The angel told Mary. Two, where was he born? He was born in Bethlehem. What's Bethlehem mean? The house of bread. What is Jesus? The bread of life. Thirdly, I bring this one up, and we're going to get to it later, but Matthew 4, 8. Jesus is having a conversation with the devil, and they're playing a little chess. But as Jesus and the devil are playing chess, Satan is saying certain things to Jesus, and every time Jesus responds with what? It is written. Jesus defeated. Jesus pushed the devil away, not by punching him, not by bringing out the checkbook, Jesus got rid of the devil by quoting the Bible. How important is it that we learn to know what the Bible says, to read it, to know it, to quote it, to understand it, to be filled and consumed with the Word of God? If Jesus, when he was here, the Son of God, the Lord, the Messiah, the Christ, if this is the one thing that he did to push the devil away, one thing, what did he do? He quoted the Word of God. How do we resist the temptation that he wants to consume us? How do we get rid of the distractions every day that are all consuming? How do we push through the mess of life and the overwhelming circumstances of everything happening and ugly and good in our world? It's 
by knowing and reading the word. Just to throw out there this morning, Jesus defeated the devil by the word of God. And if you need a Bible, ask me, ask him, we'd love to get you a Bible. Our main text this morning comes from, if you have your Bibles, we are going to go to Matthew 14, and I'm really excited, our title today, A Day in the Life, Matthew 14, and we're going to start in verse 10, and we are going to jump around a little bit this morning, but Matthew 14 says this, John was beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. Later, John's disciples came for his body, and they buried it. And then they went and told Jesus what had happened. Skipping to verse 13. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. Turn to your neighbor and say, be alone. Leave me alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Skipping down to verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted his disciples get back into the boat, cross the other side of the lake, while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, in fear. They cried out, it's a ghost. Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said, take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the side of the boat, walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind, when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out, grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And then they climbed back into the boat and the wind immediately stopped. The disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Their last verses. After they'd crossed the lake, they landed at Generaset, where the people recognized Jesus. The news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area, and soon people were beginning and bringing all their sick to be healed. They begged him, please, let the sick touch at least just the fringe, just a small piece of your robe, and everyone who touched his robe were instantly healed. So you notice that when I read the Bible, when I read the text, what I do is when I read the Bible, I go through and as I'm reading stories, what I, what I do is I say, what sticks out to me? I pray and I ask God, I say, Holy Spirit, what are the things, what words, what people, what things stick out to me? So you notice that when I read the Bible and then when I begin to teach, I always outline things that are sticking out to me, things that, that jump off the page and they jump into my brain and they catch my eyeballs. And so we begin this morning as we outline the story. The first thing that happens is Jesus' half-cousin gets beheaded. Jesus' half-cousin gets beheaded, John the Baptist. The very man, John the Baptist, who, number one, had a great name, John the Baptist, right? This was the guy who baptized Jesus. He was the one, the privilege to baptize the Son of God. Jesus came to John, and John had the privilege to baptize him in water and dunk him under the water. John the Baptist said of Jesus, 
as, as John became a popular preacher and a teacher, as John the Baptist was getting famous in the town, he said, listen, this life, it's not about me. There's someone greater who's coming. This great person who's coming, he says, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. I'm not even worthy. This man, he was preaching the truth. And you know what happened when he was preaching the truth? Because he preached the truth, he was arrested, thrown in a dungeon, and then later beheaded. One truth that he spoke to one guy, arrested, and then beheaded. So Jesus, he hears this, and as any of us have had tragedy in our life, how many of us have ever felt the need, I need some alone time? Jesus hears that John the Baptist is beheaded, and he's grieved. His heart is broken. This good, godly man, he baptized many hundreds, thousands of people. He was doing so many great things. And so for Jesus, this good person, this good man, lost his life for doing something good. And so Jesus said, you know what? I think I need some alone time. I think I need to get away. But you know what happens? And if you're, you know, ever remember as a parent, how many of us as parents hardly, when the kids were little, had alone time, right? Alone time is non-existent. Kids, and even if you have a dog, this morning, you know, I get up, make coffee, and then my wife comes down, and we have coffee together. And soon as my wife sits next to me, our golden retriever always just comes, jumps on top of us, because he needs some time too. And so even as married couples, how many of us know sometimes it's hard to find that alone time? Jesus just wanted a minute. Jesus needed a few minutes of alone time as he's processing the loss of a great man. But you know what happens? People love Jesus, and they loved him for different reasons. People were looking to be healed. People had needs that they wanted to be met. And so all these people started coming out to Jesus. So his alone time got pushed aside. And says Jesus, as soon as he sees the crowds, instead of being frustrated, instead of being angry, I wanted my time. I wanted alone time. But instead he sees the people, and instantly as hard as he sees people, He's filled with compassion. That word compassion meaning love, mercy, to spare somebody, to save someone, to favor somebody, to be gracious to someone. Soon as Jesus, and we know that it's not just 1, 2, 5, 10, 20 people. There was 10,000 people that were around Jesus, and they all were trying to draw from Jesus. How many of us, you know, have ever been around a group of people in and, and maybe not a group of people, but I don't know if you've ever had a friend. And every time we're around that friend, you know, we feel like, oh, my gosh, they're, they're trying to suck the life out of me, right? They're like little vampires. You know, if you've ever been in the Midwest and you know what those little blood-sucking mosquitoes are like, those things are of the devil. But anyway, imagine 10,000 people surrounding you, 10,000 people all wanting all needing, all asking, all begging. That could be tiring in itself, right? So what did Jesus do when he was surrounded by 10,000 people? He healed everybody. 
He just started praying for people. We don't know if he laid his hands on them. We don't know if he just said a simple word. It doesn't say, but it says, what did he do? Jesus healed them all. So everyone who came to Jesus who had a need, he met every single one of those needs. And then thank goodness, because for Jesus, you know what happened? He finally got some quiet time. After healing and ministering to 10,000 people, he sends the boys, he sends the disciples away. He says, go ahead, I'm going to catch up to you later. And he has some quiet time. Now, when Jesus had quiet time, what did he do with his quiet time? Did he get his pillow? Did he find a nice rock that was kind of flat? Did he take a nap? Did he close his eyes? He says, no. His quiet time was filled with prayer. Jesus knew his power, the presence of Almighty God, his heavenly Father, God in heaven, spending time with him, having that quiet minute, spending. We don't know how many hours he was there, but he was there. Prayer, powerful source for Jesus. If you had to heal and be around people every single day, ministering and praying for them and delivering them, Jesus' power source came from above. And so it was important that he spent that time in quiet time. Three o'clock in the morning, nice, bright, and early, it says that Jesus came walking to him out on the water, out to the disciples. So 12 men totally freaked out, and they said, Jesus, is that really you. Now, notice in this story, and again, I'm just outlining them before I get to my main points of the text this morning, outlining every single little thing that sticks out to me. The disciples, is it really you? Peter asking, is it you? And then Peter says to him, which we love, Peter, Jesus, if it's really you, can I come out and walk on the water too? Jesus, if it's really you, do you think I can? Now, if you think about Peter in the, in the Bible and in the text, some of the things that we know about Peter, he was usually the first to speak. We know that Peter usually was the first to ask. We know that Peter usually was the first to try something. We know that Peter was usually the first to stand up. He wasn't perfect. We know that he cut off the ear of somebody. He was the first to deny Jesus publicly, out loud, verbally. But Peter usually did things first. There's always at least one person, and it usually always takes just one person to ask. But you know what's cool for Peter? He's the only other person in this world other than Jesus who did what? Walked on water. He wouldn't have done it if he didn't ask. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have gone out of the boat if he wasn't willing to do something. Peter took that step. But Peter, as soon as he got out of the boat, what happened? He saw the wind and the waves, and he didn't have a boogie board. He didn't have a surfboard. And so instantly, it says that Peter began to stink, to sink. Instantly, he cried out, Jesus, please save me. And so there's eight things part of our text this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say eight. It's the number for new beginnings. Eight, 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 eight is so awesome and amazing. Number one. Great things, great beginnings, new beginnings, goodness, greatness in this story and in our text, in our life, in our mind, in our heart, in our soul, when we think of doing great things, when we think of accomplishing great things, what's the first thing that comes to our mind? Well, if I'm going to do something great, I'm sure money could be in our mind somewhere. 
I'm sure having some muscle could be, because if we're going to do great, I mean, most of us are all muscular in here, right? And so muscles are an important part of life. We want to make sure that our hair is in place, that we look good. If we're going to do something good, we got to look right. We've got to make sure that we're on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all of those Facebook, Instagram things, right? So that everybody's looking at us. In this story today, great things for Jesus began with one word, having compassion. Sometimes we neglect. Sometimes we're distracted. Sometimes we're busy. And when we're busy and when we're distracted and when we're frustrated, you know what happens? We lose compassion for people. Jesus healed and then he fed 10,000 people. But what did it start with? Compassion. He wanted to be alone. He wanted it to be quiet. He wanted to look at the stars and have a minute to himself. But he did not do it at that moment. He pushed it aside because when he saw people, moved with compassion. How compassionate are we for people every single day? Let's be honest. How many of us get frustrated every single day? Right? How many of us, if we're honest, right? How many of us, all of us in here probably, there might be a couple who never are frustrated or angry in life. But how many of us can remember the last time we're angry? How many of us can remember the last time we got frustrated with somebody? How many of us, because just like this example, Jesus wanted a minute to himself. And remember, what is Jesus doing? He's painting the way. He's painting the picture. He's giving us the example to follow. What did he say? Come after me. Follow after me. So where do great things begin? Maybe they begin with our attitude. Maybe great things begin with our attitude. And how we view every single person on this planet. What did great things, what did they start with in our text today? Compassion. God put me here for people. God put me here to love, to save, to redeem, to heal. I'll get time for myself later. And sometimes we have to catch ourselves. Because I know for me, I can get an attitude pretty quick. And I know for me, and maybe I'm not like you all, maybe you all are different than me, but I can go from zero to heated real quick, right? And, and I'm sure you all are wonderful, perfect people who never get heated at all. But there's times where I stop and catch myself before I get heated, before I'm frustrated, before I'm distracted. This is a different moment, and I need to change my attitude. And I think this week we probably could at least think of at least one time this week where we probably needed an attitude check. Right? Some of us, maybe two. Jesus, when he finally got the proper time, he made the time to pray. You have to make time to pray. Does praying come easy and natural sometimes? But how many of us know we live in California? We live in America. They call it the rat race for whatever reason. They should call it Formula One racing. I don't know. That sounds better than the rat race, right? Who wants to be compared to a rat? But life is fast. It's moving quickly. There are so many distractions. We have TV. We have politics. There are wars. There's world hunger. There's poverty. There's so many things happening in our world. 
There's bills, there's jobs, there's so many different things, so many distractions that get thrown into our face every single day. How can we handle life? How can we handle people? How can we even handle ourselves at times unless we make time, just as Jesus did, to what? To pray. Number two. Number three. This is important. We will never know if we don't ask. There's things God wants you to pray for that you never pray and ask. There's things that he's I'm saying, I'm just waiting. I'm ready to answer you. I'm ready. I'm ready in this moment for you. But are you asking? Matthew 7, 7 says this. Keep on asking. Now, none of us like to, like to be a nag, right? None of us in here, we don't like to be nags. We don't like to keep on asking our kids, can you take out the trash? Can you take out the trash? Can you do the dishes? Can you do this, right? How many of us can remember the last time we had to ask somebody to do something at least twice? It's not fun. But Jesus, what did he say when it comes to our heart, mind, and soul, things that are important to us? He said, Matthew 7, 7, keep on asking and you will receive whatever you ask for keep on seeking you will find keep on knocking the door will be open to you everyone who asks receives everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks the door will be open god come into him in prayer god come into him and just communicating and talking to him keep on asking keep on pressing keep on asking never giving up fully believing fully hoping that what i'm praying for what i'm believing for god will answer my prayers god is going to come through god is going to meet our needs god is going to heal our bodies keep on asking because peter in the story he asked, can I come out on the water? He asked the question. What's the question we haven't asked? What's the thing that we haven't come before God and we've been too afraid to ask or we don't have, we don't feel that we have the faith to believe? Peter asked the question. Keep on asking. And number four, we're gonna, we'll never know if we don't try. When's the last time you tried to do something different for God that you've never done before? I don't know about you, but Peter in the story, it's pretty cool to be able to walk on water. Even if it was for 30 seconds, even if it was for five seconds, if I jump out of the boat and I don't go down to the bottom and I'm actually standing on top of the water, how cool is the experience for Peter? And he is the only one who experienced. We will never know unless we try. We're never going to know how cool that God is and some of the things that we can do for him unless we try, unless we step out of the boat of ourselves. God has put us here as wonderful, beautiful, handsome people. But some of the greatest things in life, they're not experienced when we stay within the confines of our boat. It's but when we're willing to do something different. When we're willing to step out, to try to be different. God, I want to get out of the boat, and I want to do something great for you. You know, Mark 16, 15 says this, Go into all the world of Hemet and San Aceno and Val Vista and preach the good news to everyone. 
Anyone who believes, baptize them, they'll be saved. Anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They'll speak in a new language. They'll be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them because they'll be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Jesus said when you give your life, when you choose to follow after me, the adventure, a brand new adventure begins. But it won't begin unless we're willing to try. Peter in the New Testament was one of these guys, and there's a few, and there's a handful that were willing to try, that were willing to step out. When I was young, and many of you heard that story when I went to the wheelhouse in town here, and as a 13-year-old kid, my youth pastor at church said, we're going to go out, we're going to go witness and talk about Jesus. And I didn't know what to say, and I didn't know what to do. But I opened my mouth, and words came out. If we don't put ourselves in the position to share, to be a witness, you know what? It never will happen. What boat is God asking us to step out of this morning? What is something different God is asking you to try to, to step out? Peter, I don't know if any of you fish here this morning, but as Peter was on the water, it says that he sees the wind and the wave. If you're fishing, people will put little weights on their fishing pole, right, on the line. It's called sinkers, right? And we talk about fear all the time, but Peter saw the wind and the waves, and what happened? He got afraid. And I'm not going to say a lot about it because I talk about fear all the time, but every single day, what's one of the biggest things the devil does to us, to me, to you, he wants you to be afraid. What happened to Peter as he got fear into his heart? He began to drown. And how many of us have ever had the feeling like life seems like I'm drowning right now? feels like I'm under the water, right? It feels like I can't catch a breath. What does fear do to people? It causes us to drown in life. Greater, greater things. Turn to your neighbor and say greater things. John 14, 12 says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same work I have done and even greater because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I'll do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Who here, and you don't have to raise your hand, but ask yourself, do I want to be a part of something greater? Do I want to be a part of something bigger? Do I want to see this wonderful valley here transformed into a wonderful, beautiful, and it already is community, right? But do I want to see it get even better? Do I want to see the lost get saved? Do I want to see the, the people who are sick get healed? Do I want to see people who are possessed be delivered? Do I want to see something that I can't do on my own, but God can do through me? Jesus said, John 14, 12, if you believe, you can do greater things that I have done. You know, and as I think about greater things for a minute, some of the greatest things that we can do sometimes simply is a hug, right? If we're, you know, private kind of people and to ourselves, then most of us don't give out hugs, right? Sometimes a handshake, a high five, a hug. But how many people in our valley are desperate and lonely and hurting 
and maybe just need one hug. And maybe, how many hungry people do we have in our valley? Greater things doesn't mean all the time that I have to pray, and then all of a sudden there's an explosion, and someone gets blown away, and there's this massive moment. Greater things is when we say, I'm going to take my attention off myself, and I'm going to do something else for somebody else. That becomes a greater moment. When we can stop thinking about what I need to do the rest of the day, when I can stop thinking about myself and what I need to accomplish for the day, and when I can just say, there's this moment I have in front of me, something greater is when I can do something for you, hungry, lost. And if we look in Hemet, I'm sure there's quite a few people out there. One of the greatest things in life, Jesus talks about faith throughout the Bible. And as he healed people in the text and, and in different stories, there are times where Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you whole. One of the things that Jesus says to Peter as he begins to sink, what does he say? Peter, you're having little faith. Little faith right now. Peter, you're sinking. Why? Because you began to doubt me. Doubt is a faith killer. I don't know about you, but see, when I read the Bible, I get excited. Maybe I'm an excitable type, right? I don't know. But when I read the Bible, I get excited. I do. And I see things, and I hear things, and I get excited because I know it didn't just happen then, but maybe it can happen right now. It could be something that I could be a part of, that I can see God do something great. And one of the great things that, that must take place is that my faith stays in the right place, that my heart, my mind, my soul, if I let doubt creep into my brain, what's going to happen? What happened to Peter? He began to sink. See, there's many things out there that kill our faith today. In this story today, in the very beginning of our text, what happened? A man got beheaded. And how many of us, for all of us in here, if any one of our friends, family got killed, murdered, any of those things, one of those situations, how many of us know that could be damaging to the faith that we have in God? The tragedy, tragedy today kills the faith in, in so many people around our world. Jesus, as he goes to the disciples, and he has 10,000 people surrounding him, and he's saying to the disciples, feed them. And they're saying, we don't want to feed them. We don't have any food to feed them. Jesus said, yeah, you have enough. Not believing, not having enough faith in the little things that we have. See, that's the thing. It's one of the greatest things that God tries to tell us every single day. You are enough. What I placed inside of you, you already are talented. You already are amazing. You have the gifts and the abilities that I placed inside of you. You are a world changer. You, every single thing in your heart, mind, and soul that I have given to you, that I have placed into you, you have enough. You were given more than enough to do great things. But unfortunately, sometimes that doubt's a killer. And Peter sees it in the story because for him, he had to get dragged into the boat. I don't know if you ever had to, you know, as a parent, drag your kid into the house because they were being naughty outside. And none of us had naughty kids ever, right? But Peter, who in one second, he's walking on the water. The next second, he's being dragged into the boat like a little kid. Why? 
because he started to doubt. He lost it. And we all have losing moments, right? We can be honest. We're in church. We all have losing moments. But I think it's time to start having greater moments than the losing moments. I think in 2023, we should start having greater moments, and they start piling up and becoming even greater moments instead of the moments where we lose it. Why not set the goal this year, 2023? I'm already three months deep. Let me have greater moments this year. Let me be a part, God, of something greater this year. God, help me to step out of the boat this year and do something even greater this year. God, take the little, whatever it is that I feel is inside of me, and do something great with me this year. Matthew 21, 21, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do great things like this and much, much more. You can say to the mountain, may you be lifted up, thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, it will happen. If Jesus said it takes faith, if it takes gas in your car to move, if it takes faith inside of us to be activated, to do great things, where do we get the faith? Well, I'm glad you asked. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing. And you know what hearing? Hearing the good news that's in the Bible. Where does faith come from? How do I get faith? How do I fill this vehicle? How do I get moving? How does something good be activated in me? I get full of faith. Where do I find the faith? I find the faith right here. I open up the book from Genesis to Revelation. I start with one verse today. Maybe I read two verses tomorrow. I start small. It doesn't have to be big. And I just start reading. Faith comes from hearing the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 14, Paul says, but how can anyone call on him to save, to be saved, unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? For the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Look down to your feet this morning and say, you are beautiful feet. Beautiful feet. If you want to be a part of something great, you have to feed the faith. We've learned to feed our eyeballs with all kinds of junk, right? We watch TV. We watch the news. Do we really have to listen to politics? Do we really have to watch this? Do we really have to listen to this? Do we really have to scroll through social media? Do we really have to watch and listen to this right now? I could just pull up the Bible app on my phone. As soon as I pull it up, Bible if it says faith comes from hearing or reading the Word of God, right? So I could be fully, I could be filling myself with more gas, premium gasoline, the best for this body, right? We don't get no junk eighty-seven in here, right? We get the good stuff when we read the Word of God. Because how many of us have you ever? Let's we're in church, so let's be honest for a minute. Have we ever doubted God? for a minute. God didn't answer me. God didn't come through for me. Whoever thought to ourselves, I don't feel like being a good person today. I want to slap somebody through the head and knock them out.
when we are watching certain things on TV, when we're scrolling through social media and it's not Christian, when we're listening to things and we're reading things and we're watching things, when it's not filling our faith, you know what it's doing? It's bringing doubt, it's bringing confusion, and then we wonder. Five minutes later, we start questioning God. Well, it's what you filled your head with. We all can be confused. We all can have doubt. We all live in the same world together. We don't live in the same house together, hallelujah. Just kidding, right? It'd be nice, but we all have our own place. But we do live in this house together, right? Don't think out of like a second, oh my gosh, I'm having this bad moment about God and church and this and that. When you filled yourself with trash for hours, your mind will change. The devil plants seeds of doubt, confusion, and hate, and lust, and all these different things. Where does faith, good, premium, gasoline come from? It comes from the Word of God. What do we need to do the rest of our lives to ensure that it heads in the right direction, that I build upon great moments, upon great moments, upon great moments. I have to feed upon faith in the Word of God. And it never starts by saying, I'm going to read three chapters, and then I'm going to write a book about those three chapters. Don't do that to yourself. I'm just going to start with one verse, and maybe I'll write it down, and then I'll think about it, and say a little prayer, and then go on your way. Start. Here, baby steps, and let God move it up. And so as we start to wrap up this morning, I do have three closing thoughts upon the eight thoughts that I built upon throughout the outline of the text this morning. And the first one is, it is so true, we become who we hang around. If you want to be great and you hang around losers, it's not going to happen. Now, nobody on this planet's a loser, right? I've only heard that term in other places. But the Bible says if you hang around with fools, guess who you become? You become a fool. You hang around a smart person, guess what happens? You become smart. Who we hang around, it transfers into our life. Who we hang around, it's who we become. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and you will be wise. Associate with fools and you be a fool. Once again, if we start to question and doubt and pull away from God, but we're not watching who we're hanging around with, don't be stupid and think, ah, I just don't get God anymore. It's the stupid people you hang out with. Stupid hangs on to you. Right? So if stupid thoughts are coming through our head, then dump the stupid. Secondly, Acts 4.13, members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men, no special training in the word, but they recognized them, men who had been with none other than Jesus. Remember Time Magazine, pull out your piece of paper. Pull out that lovely piece of paper. Time did this article. 
They put it together in a magazine. They stamped the top page. This is it, the cover page. Why? Jesus, the most influential person in the world. Why? We become who we hang around. You want to influence people for good? Who do you hang with? I hang with Jesus. If you want to do great things, who do you hang with? You hang with Jesus. Where do you find Jesus? You find him right here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But you know where you also find him? You can find him in the Old Testament. There's symbols and pictures of him all throughout. We become who we hang out with. Secondly, who's defeating who this morning? Who's getting the best of who? Is Satan getting the best of me or am I getting the best of him? In every situation, in every moment, in every circumstance, through every single part of our life, one of the greatest questions we can ask ourselves, who is getting the best today? Me? Or am I going to let the devil smack me around today? Who's defeating who? Are we walking around defeated or are we defeating? And lastly, it's all about fruit trees. It's good to have some apples and oranges every single day. Jesus said, Matthew 17, 17, it says, A good tree produces good fruit, bad tree produces bad fruit, and a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down, thrown in the fire. And just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. I think we're all good people. I do. I think we're all lovely, nice, wonderful people. But what kind of fruit are we giving people with our heart, mind, soul? What kind of words if everything that comes from this life? And sometimes some of the things I give, they could have some thorns on it. But maybe today I need to give out more apples. It's good for your teeth. Maybe today I need to give out some, some oranges and more oranges. It's got vitamin C. It's good for your body. People will recognize by how we give of ourselves. When we look in the mirror, we say, oh, yeah, looking good today, baby, right? Handsome devil, beautiful lady, whatever you say to yourself when you look at yourself. But remember, it's not what we say when we look in the mirror about ourselves. It's what the rest of the world says. And if I'm not giving them good fruit, I can't think in my head all day long, I'm good, I'm sweet, and I'm kind, but then I go out and act like the devil and give out bad fruit to everybody. I don't want to poison. I don't want to be, I don't wanna be that, that you know, evil witch in like Disney stories long ago that gave that bad apple to Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty, right? Sleeping Beauty to Aurora, right? I don't want to be that person. But you know what's a tragedy? Sometimes our words are like that, that bad apple that puts somebody to sleep and that pushes somebody aside. Jesus said, you know people by their fruit. And so we close up with our theme for this month, which is five, the number five. So give somebody a high five real quick. Give them a high five, give them a high five. Number five in the Bible, grace, goodness, favor. We started last week because it was five weeks to Resurrection Sunday. And in this season and in this time, what are the three things that God would love to show us every single day? Grace, goodness, favor.
What does it start with? Faith. Where do I get faith? Simply just reading the word. Letting those words soak into my brain, heart, mind, soul. More than anything else that I see. If I want to be great, if I want to do great things, if I want to truly help people more than just giving out money, than giving out food, the best way to help people, letting faith be consumed in my heart, mind, and soul. This season, as we get closer to Resurrection Sunday, now four Sundays away, God wants to show grace, goodness, and favor. But not only to you, he wants you to give that grace, goodness, and favor to what? Give it to somebody else. Give it to somebody else. Let's pray.